BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and you're watching The Fran Spielman Show, brought to you by AARP. With us today is the president of the Civic Federation, Lawrence Massal. Thank you for joining us. And let's say a little bit about your background, which I just learned just talking to you. 17 years at the Civic Federation, which is the watchdog of all government agencies in Chicago and Illinois, economic development and infrastructure aid to Governor Jim, uh, George Ryan, which I'm sure was a little interesting. It was very what, interesting. What um, happened to him. Uh, number two at the Commercial Club, uh, and a legislative aid to Governor Jim Thompson, and then before that, St. Ignatius High School. Right, so exactly. what was it like working for George Ryan when the scandal hit? Well, working for George Ryan was just a great opportunity. Governor Ryan really believed in government and that the role government could help and make communities better. And if you recall those days, we had something called the Illinois First $12 billion infrastructure program that I got to be a part of. We worked with the mayor of the city of Chicago, then Mayor Daly and his team, for the rebuilding of McCormick Place, for um, rebuilding some of the Metra and CTA um, investments that we made. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, there was a very positive attitude about the role state government could play with the city and working together. A lot and of wheeling and dealing. There was a lot he of wheeling. He was like an LBJ, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was. He had been Speaker of the Illinois House, and so he knew how legislation moved through the process and what legislators were looking for. But mostly he took over at a time back, back in 1998 after Governor Edgar had been in office. Governor Edgar was a much more conservative fiscal um, governor. He was someone who inherited a large deficit, not unlike the deficit the governor um, of Illinois faces right now. But Governor Ryan was elected because he had a vision, things like getting rid of the hillside strangler, investing in um, our international business, to leading trade missions to South Africa, Cuba, other places uh, around the world just to promote Illinois. Too bad for the scandal. Did you, scandal. what was that like? Well, that was really something that for the most part occurred before I, I mean, it was mostly related to Secretary the Secretary of State. State's office. And then after I had left basically was when the governor was on trial. So I never really saw um, firsthand anything from Governor Ryan that would, that, that led me to believe that anything, you know, that I was involved in or that he was, was, was anything but the best interests of the state. You just had the gravy part. Well, I had the part to basically make sure that a $12 billion infrastructure program, that we knew where the money was going, that it was legitimate organizations, that it was actually, if it went to a not-for-profit, that they were registered with the state of Illinois. If it went to a local government, they had an actual contract in place. So we had a lot of help from some great directors of almost all the major agencies in state government were at one point helping with the Illinois First program. 
because we literally did billions of dollars in investments all over the state. Infrastructure, which would could be sewers or water lines or economic development programs, airports, um, public transit from the city of Chicago all the way to the Metro East area. And it was what was it like working for Thompson, who I thought was one of the more talented politicians I have ever covered. He Jim, was a wheeler dealer too. Jim Thompson was a very impressive um, governor and a really inspiring governor to work for. He also believed in the power of government to change. He modernized the state of Illinois, especially our economic development efforts. Not unlike the times that we're in right now, there were questions about Chicago and Illinois' economic future. During the 80s, it was based early, the late 70s, early 80s, it was looked like we're in the Rust Belt where we're seeing the decline of other um, states with the cities in Ohio and Wisconsin were not keeping up, Milwaukee and Cleveland. So Governor Thompson took office and really wanted to bring to the forefront the power and the standing of the state of Illinois. He opened many of the trade offices in Brussels and in Toronto and um, around the world that really promoted Illinois, not just our businesses, but our products, our agricultural output. And he got a lot of positive recognition. He made tough choices, but he also, when he read the Sun-Times in the morning, he looked to see what would the state of Illinois or what should the state of Illinois be doing to help with the situation. He had an attitude that the state had a role in helping the cities and helping the people and the citizens of the state of Illinois. All right, so now here we are about two months to go in Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration as he frenziedly tries to build his legacy and burnish it. What financial legacy is he leaving behind? How is it different from what he inherited, which was a mess and a half? So I think, in fairness to um, Mayor Emanuel, he is leaving the city in better financial shape than he found it. He faced enormous challenges. We knew at the Civic Federation that the city was borrowing a lot of money. We knew that it had a pension um, crisis that it needed to be um, addressed, but we didn't know the level of borrowing that was going on and the use of those borrowed funds for general operating. So during his tenure, the, the mayor committed to getting rid of scoop and toss, which is a very expensive way of just pushing out your debt rather than paying it off to, to stop borrowing for large um, settlements and to really begin to stabilize the pension funds by increasing property taxes for the police and fire fund, raising the 911 fees and raising the water fees so that the laborers and municipal pension funds could have more resources. The telephone tax, right, the telephone, twice. Right, but every time that he tried to basically, and, every, and this will be the same thing the next mayor faces, every time they try to do something to the pensions, they have to get approval from Springfield whether they want to add a new revenue source, whether they want to change the, the, uh, the funding um, schedule, or whether they want to uh, try to uh, change the benefits or, or create a new level of benefits for new employees. The state of Illinois controls almost everything to do with the city and state pensions because it's all um, enacted into state statutes. So what didn't he do? Where did he disappoint? So we didn't, you know, we didn't resolve. We're not, we don't have large reserves. The city still is going to, by the mayor's own financial team, is still going to have a deficit. It's going to have a deficit this next year that the first budget that the new mayor will um, have to address is over $300 million. Some projections are over half a billion dollars. That's because there haven't been really structural revenue that matches the ongoing expenses. So... The pensions remain a big challenge. I think the mayor's speech that he made to the city council where he said 
we should, if we're going to amend the Constitution, we should amend it to not only get rid of the flat tax, which was added in 1970, but the requirement that the, um, the pension benefits can't be changed in any fashion. Basically, where the Civic Federation believes is, is the key area is that automatic increase that not just our city, but our state employees receive the 3%, in many cases, compounded increase. When you have your city pensions that are in total about 30% funded, that's a huge crisis. The city, as we said, the mayor put more money into the pension funds, raised taxes to do it, got some reforms, but not as much as necessary to bring down the unliability. But within three years, the next mayor is going to have to find a billion dollars in new revenue for or cuts in city services in order to meet the state schedule for pension contributions. So the mayor identified dedicated funding sources for all four pension funds, but what didn't he do? Not, but but be, he, put the, he kept the city on a schedule and on a ramp that basically made it easy for these year, easier for these years in terms of the contribution. But come 2022, the, the, the ramp is over and then the full actuarial contribution to be on the 90% funded schedule um, takes effect. So much more money is going to be needed in 20, before 2022 to just stay on that schedule. The mayor also deserves, I think, a lot of credit for when he first took office, he understood that there was question marks of how Chicago competes, how it's looked at as an economic center or as a world-class business center. And he spent an enormous amount of time early on in his career in the first eight years, um, touting every time any business came to Chicago, whether it was a 50-person employer or something larger. And he succeeded in getting a lot of companies to relocate back to Chicago. McDonald's, Archer Daniels, Midland, corporate headquarters, and with them came a lot of jobs. He also built on something that Mayor Daley administration, Richard um, M. Daly, which is that the students at the universities in downtown Chicago add to the vibrancy, add to the economic attractiveness. And so there's been a surge since Mayor Emanuel took office of young people wanting to come to Chicago. And that has helped bring corporations that are looking for the talented college graduates. Um, And so somebody has mentioned that in this very neighborhood that we are right now on the near west side, there are more millennials in this zip code than anywhere else in the United States. It's a happening place. The sun times is here. Right. If the sun times here, it must know something. (laughs) Right. So but what but the point is, we're seeing this great surge of people wanting to be in the central loop, in the, 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 uh, the west loop. What we don't see is the neighborhood development. What we don't see is the replacement for the many people, the population demographics that are leaving the far south side, that are leaving the west side because of economic opportunity, because Crime. of violence. Violence is probably the thing that cuts to the core of every Chicagoan. We're still not satisfied that we have figured out how to bring that level of violence down, how to end the nonsense shootings that occur on too far regularly a basis. So then his biggest failing would be in uh, concentrating on downtown at the expense of the neighborhoods or what? No, I think the biggest the, the, the biggest challenge that he leaves the mayor, the next mayor, are some of the challenges that he himself faced. Limited finances, high debt, um, a pension crisis that continues to confront it, a, a, a different 
um, situation for this next mayor with a Democratic governor, J.B. Pritzker, than perhaps the last four years have been with Governor Rauner in terms of his looking at it. But all the governors have expressed a willingness to want to help Chicago, have expressed willingness to want to um, address the pension system. There hasn't been that um, effective leadership from the city, the state, and all the other local officials to make it happen. So you have this, this report, yes. show and tell, and it's very well done, but it basically lays out the challenges for the mayor, the new mayor. Yes. What is going to be the biggest challenge that new mayor faces? The, the, the biggest challenge that the next mayor faces are the finances of the city, the demands for city services, the, the, um, the many union contracts that are up and are, um, will need to be negotiated, and a limited set of options for where to go for more revenue or where to cut. Is there going to be an appetite in the city council to really consolidate city services, to reduce the operating and administrative costs? That itself won't solve the city's financial challenges, but the public wants to know that the government is changing, that it's being more efficient. One of the recommendations that we talk about is the size of the city council. Okay. Do we benefit from having 50 city council members? It's the biggest city council, with the exception of New York City, in the country. And that comes with a cost. They demand aldermanic privilege so that they control the zoning in their awards. That is an they inefficient They each way. have a menu program. Right, the 1. menu program, right. That is not person. necessarily tied to any overall analysis of what's in the best interest of the city, what's the greatest return. So Get the, rid of it? Def, definitely get rid of the, um, the, menu. the menu program. And Why? Instead have, Why should we? Because the citizens should be able to know how the city is making decisions on spending literally millions of dollars. We should be funding what are the priorities. We saw Lakeshore Drive has a gaping um, infrastructure need. We know the CTA in many neighborhoods have bridges that are under on disrepair. Those should be the priorities. There should be a plan for the city of Chicago. We shouldn't have to guess or know who the alderman is to basically have the confidence that the things that have the most urgent need or the greatest return are being done because they need to be done according to a plan. That's what the city of Chicago lacks. It does not have an overall comprehensive infrastructure prioritization and plan that the citizens can say it's going to be 10, 5, however many years before that bridge gets Take fixed. Take that $66 million put it in, put part it in of, the pot. Make it more effective. We, we need the aldermen to fulfill their role as the legislative oversight, as the legislative body. They need to be focusing not on providing another layer of 311 services for people who need to have their garbage can replaced or to have some local issue addressed by a city agency. We need the city council to be focused on the really big issues that only they can resolve. Why should we cut the size of the city council? Because there's no evidence that we need such a large city council because for the most part they're on the major issues, the budget, the finances, they're generally in um, very close um, unanimity uh, of what they're doing. So why? what is the benefit? Other places, Los Angeles, basically 15, uh, 15 council members, much larger size, more population, it can be done. We're not in a place where we can afford to be inefficient. We have enormous debt. We have $30 billion in unfunded pension promises. We have the, um, the challenge of the consent decree for police that's going to cost a lot of money. We can't afford to be 
inefficient in Chicago. We have to modernize. We have to take the practices of what is the best way to deliver the services, what is the most efficient way to deliver the services, not based on what we've done in the past or what has made political sense. The committee system is another cost for all these aldermen. Exactly. That's like 20 some odd million dollars. Right. The justification for how big issues are debated and whether the city council for example, does things like streamlines its its hearings. Other units of government streamline all their public hearings. The city council of Chicago. But the number doesn't. of committees. Right. The number of committees. A lot could be done to make the city council more efficient and more and better organized to the core issues. The core issues are the finances, the del uh, the um, oversight of the delivery of services, and the the all of the lawsuits and settlements that go on at the city. How many aldermen should we have? We think a, a, a reasonable place is that you could look at um, reducing by 50 percent the number of aldermen. Yeah. And basically most people in the city of Chicago would, be, would get the same services. We had to fight tooth and nail just, and this is something that Mayor Emanuel did, which was to put the um, streets and sand on a grid system rather than on political boundaries. It doesn't make any sense. When Commonwealth Edison or People's Gas or AT&T is delivering services, they don't check the political routes to, or boundaries to decide how they deliver those services. They go to the homes that are basically in their whole service area. Now, what about other services, uh, cut, service cuts? You, you said we should do a cost of services study. Right. What other areas could we cut? Well, we, we look at sort of the way the elections are handled. It's really hard to justify why, in fact, we have our mayoral elections in February and in April, right? New York City has their election in November. That's when most people are prepared to vote. There is no justification for having a special election in the inordinate cost and inconvenience to most people to try to remember in February and in April that we're having aldermanic elections, city, city um, treasurer and mayor elections we should combine them and basically efficiently deliver them with the state and the congressional schedule. On the issue of recycling, the city has a 9% recycling rate. Right. We cannot afford to hemorrhage money this way, right? We, what should we do there? We need to be on the cutting edge of what, what? what that is. We need to basically be educating Chicagoans in terms of how they recycle. We need to basically be working with the providers to say, is there a market for this? One of the national, international issues is there's less of a market for uh, American waste. Basically, China was buying a lot of our recycled um, plastics and paper, and they've stopped because of a lot of other issues. The question is, and cities all over the state of Illinois are faced with this, can they afford to, or what is the most efficient way to pull that recycling out of the waste stream? Because if what you don't recycle- What about a volume-based garbage collection fee? You've said that 950 right. a month is not enough. Right, no, that no really needs to be focused on in terms of who's delivering What would you do there? Well, I would definitely basically look at volume. I would say, if you can create things that are incentives for the people to avoid having to pay excessive costs for services, we should do it. Most people choose to recycle voluntarily. They'll continue to sort their waste, but they got to make sure that we're maintaining a high quality um, recycled product that there is some market for. If in fact um, that we see that we can reduce the volume in terms of the collection, how often it is collected, we see many places where people have in you know three, four big waste cans in their uh, in the alley behind their um, their homes. Do they need that? Do we need to? If we have that many cans, do they need to be picked up once a week? Can it be stretched out? 
there is a clear efficiencies that could be done. But what we have right now, for, for the moment, or have historically, is we've had a ward by ward um, analysis because the alderman is in the in the ward superintendent. We've begun to shift away from that. That's the kind of thing that. But you're needs saying volume based would not only give people incentives to recycle. Uh, if you charge them by the volume instead of nine fifty right. a month for everybody, right. it would also reduce the city's waste hauling fees. Exactly. You basically, you have there's a mutual efficiency and there's a cooperation that the government and the same thing happens with you know pri utility providers. They will basically give you incentives based on what you allow them to do in terms of how often they have to come and read your meter, how often they have to do other things. It can be cooperative. It can be citizen and service delivery based rather than historical this is how we do it and there's a lot of areas in city services but there are a lot of areas that definitely need more attention and the, clearly the police department is one that the next mayor is going to continue to really have to um, address the consent decree itself will not assure that we've resolved the issues of the police and police um, settlements we're going to need to basically provide better training, which is going to cost money. We're going to have to take a more proactive approach, and we have to stop borrowing for those large settlements because every time we borrow, we use bonded funds to pay for a multi-million dollar settlement. Two things happen. For the taxpayers, that means the cost of that settlement actually is double because you're going to have to pay compounding interest on that. And two, there's not accountability. There isn't a recognition. It isn't shocking that basically the police department or the streets and sand or the CTA is basically um, paying out a multi-million dollar settlement. It doesn't come off the operating line, and it should. Lawrence Vassal, thank you for joining us. Thank we you, could Frank. talk forever Appreciate about it. city finances. And I will see you next week.